Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Uh, I'm going to keep this quick. This is the, well, I don't know if this is the third episode, but in the series as we planned it, this is the third episode. We might have uh, thrown some comedy festival episodes in between. I don't know. Not even sure why I brought it up. Anyway, uh, you may be listening to these out of order. This may be the first episode you've ever listened to. This is possibly the worst introduction I've done, although you could go back over the last 52, 53 of them and decide that's probably not the case. The intros are always terrible. Uh, here's uh, who's on the show today, Joe Stanley. Joe Stanley is an amazing radio broadcaster. Um, I've known Joe for over 20 years. We started out doing uh, stand-up comedy in Melbourne together. Uh, we were friendly back then. Uh, we have uh, not necessarily worked in the same places uh, over the next 20 years. So we've only catch, caught up um, occasionally, you know, when I pop into her radio show to, you know, do an interview and uh, say hello. But I've always enjoyed Joe's company, but I've always really really enjoyed her as a radio broadcaster she found what she was absolutely brilliant at she's the i believe the only woman ever in melbourne to have two separate uh, number one radio shows on different networks i think she's probably an underrated talent despite that she's one of australian entertainment's quiet achievers she's just been going about her job day by day filling three hours of radio content uh, effectively uh, professionally uh, with great intent and great commitment for, um, you know, over a decade, uh, much longer than that. And that, in fact, it's an incredible achievement that she probably doesn't get quite enough credit for, I'd imagine. Uh, this was a really lovely chat. I haven't had an opportunity to sit down with Joe and ask her these questions and talk about these things ever in the time that we've known each other. So it's a great gift to be able to do that after 20 years of knowing somebody on the surface and enjoying them as a person and a broadcaster to then sit down and get the opportunity to ask them what makes them tick. And I loved it. I loved the answers. I loved where she went with it. She believes a whole bunch of different things to what I believe, but I was fascinated to hear what they were and why she believed them and where those belief systems came from. You know, that's the idea of what we're doing here. So I think you're going to like this podcast. I hope you're going to enjoy it very much. Uh, a big thank you to Joe. Check out uh, all her stuff, her writing. She's writing a book at the moment. Um, I'm sure she'll be back on the radio soon. And if there's any radio programmers out there then you better be quick i reckon because uh, this is one of the rare talents in australian broadcasting and as soon as she finds another job she'll probably do that for five years and take that show to number one as well so i'm sure she won't be out of the game for long she's so just naturally talented and brilliant at it so uh this is joe stanley uh, i hope you're really going to enjoy it i am of course still currently on tour uh, will legal is the name of my show it's all about my arrest in Wagga Wagga, the entire show takes place between when I left home on the Saturday and I got home on the Sunday night. It's the first time I've done an entire show that is just one story. Uh, the entire thing is just one story. It's all self-contained. There's a little time travel in the middle, but it, it starts when I leave and it uh, ends when I get home. And uh, I've worked very hard on it. It's been a real process to turn it from my story into a story for audiences, and that has been... Uh, something that has been very unique to what I've done uh, in the past and it's taught me a whole bunch of different lessons and I think the show now is in great shape so come out and see it that's the easiest way to support this podcast if you like the podcast come and see a live show Melbourne at the moment then uh, Perth, Canberra, Sydney uh, other dates to follow all right there you go that's the intro uh, enjoy this episode with Joe Stanley Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Uh, and uh, joining me today, someone I'm very excited 
to have on the podcast because it's someone that I've known for quite a while, but I can't remember when, if ever, we've sat down and had a conversation like this. So <laughs> I think that's going to be very exciting. It's so uh, firstly, guest, uh, who are you? Uh, I'm Jo Stanley. Uh, that's my name. Who am I, Will? Uh, I'm a deeply flawed work in progress. Okay, I like that. That's a good yeah. start. I love it. I like. I just like asking that question because everybody brings something different to the table when you ask them who they are. What and would I, you say? I mean, it's a hard question. Yeah, I, look, I get the a great prerogative of asking that question <laughs> and not having right. to answer it. I, I, I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I've okay. already done my bit. Yeah. Uh, so Joe Stanley is here, uh, an amazing uh, broadcaster, comedian, writer, uh, columnist, uh, uh, all sorts of other things, mm. uh, a multimedia performer. Um, this podcast, uh, I like to ask people if they have a philosophy towards anything. And I, just from the way that you introduce yourself, I imagine that your philosophy might be related to the idea that you think about yourself as a flawed work in progress. So tell me what your Mm. philosophy is and then I can see if I was right or wrong. Okay. Well, I guess my philosophy is that we are here for a purpose, but I don't think that purpose reveals itself to you perhaps ever. Like I feel like you know, we, we just sort of um, are on our path. I believe that time unfolds as it needs to. So whenever weird things happen, you're like, whoa, that surprised me, like being sacked. Uh, you know, that sort of shit. And it's deeply painful. To me, that's great comfort that I know that, well, but time unfolds as it needs to and this path will reveal itself and I'm, I'm in the exact moment I need to be right now. Okay, that's okay. So, firstly, fascinating. We've dived in the deep end, and I like it. I've, I've, I've written a list of other philosophies I have that aren't nearly as deep. I'm, I'm a rule maker in my life. Okay. Because I'm a very anxious person, so okay. I prefer to have rules, so I don't so have to think about. The rules are to deal with the anxiety. Is that yeah. what it is? It gives you Basically. a framework. Yeah. So, okay. but think. So, I have much lighter philosophies that aren't as that. But we can go down the deep path or the funny. No, path I like the like I it. like the deep path. This okay. is. I mean, essentially, what this whole podcast is about is like. I mean, essentially, what I really want to go to people is life. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> what do you right. reckon? Good. What's it all about? Yeah. Well, I think life is this moment okay, that we've been so given. What a great gift it is. Let's dig down in that mm-hmm. um, a bit deeper. Maybe let's start with using a practical example that you brought up yourself to kind of explain the framework of it. That might be yes. a good way to start. Yep. So you mentioned being sacked. That's yep. quite recent. And yep. um, obviously... <laughs> this time around. It's happened three times. So, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, how to deal with being sacked and through the prism of what you've just said, I think is an interesting thing to talk about. So uh, you were doing a radio show with my friend Limo, who of course is going to be on this podcast as well. And uh, it was the number one radio show in the market. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, it was public that they weren't inviting you back to do the show Mm. again the next year. So a lot of the time people would associate the idea of being number one, of being successful at the job (laughs) that you do to be a sort of, I guess, a safety barrier for the fact that you were going to get sacked. But it's actually a really good example of the idea that sometimes even success in your job or accomplishment in your job doesn't stop bad things coming along regardless. Exactly. I think it's an interesting place to start because of... Because life is shit. Life is hard. It's painful. There's disappointments. There's fear. We're all frightened of something. We're all consumed with that anxiety of what if, 
What if I don't achieve that goal? What if people don't like me? What if, you know, my lover leaves me? What if my kids get sick? Like you've just got all that shit going on in your head, right? And you're right. We had a great show. We loved it. We were successful. People loved us. We loved them. Sorry, but bang, we're taking that away from you for whatever reason. Some people like Lemo are still questioning and he's very angry still. I really, whatever, you move on. Um, But at the time, it's devastating to me. I'm someone who is easily, I easily fall into the trap of assuming it's me and assuming there's something wrong with me. Um, And also that evil poison in your brain of comparing yourself to other people. Um, And so you kind of spiral for a bit. But then out of that, I always go to mindfulness and meditation. I meditate every day. And essentially what that teaches me is that instantly through my breath, I get back into this moment. And in this moment, I am happy. In this moment, the sun is shining. In this moment, there are sparks of joy. And I don't need to allow whatever shit has just happened that deeply devastates me to actually sway me from the knowledge that this is the right place for me right now. And I don't know what will happen in one, three, six months, a year, who who knows. But it will unfold that this is what's supposed to have happened for me. It's interesting though, because in the moment that you find out about something like that, see, here's the thing. I've done things that have not worked before. Mm. And you're very aware that at some stage, you're going to get a tap on the shoulder and say, thanks very much for your time, but it's time for you to go away now. (laughs) Right. But (laughs) this wasn't that. Mm-hmm. This is a different thing. So I think that for people, you know, who are listening to this, we all understand the idea of like, you know, if a relationship has been going badly, mm. you can see it coming to the end. But this is like, you know, you're fucking every day, like, you know, you're planning <laughs> holidays together and then the next day they're just like, you're dumped, I'm yes. leaving you. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, and that's a great analogy. Like I haven't, uh, I I suppose I've not lost a relationship in that way. So there'll be people listening who go, yeah, thanks very much, you wise bitch. You're very annoying because when I lost my partner, there was no goodness. Certainly when people are sick and they die, that's really – like my father died when I was four and I look at my mother and I think, you know, I don't know how she would have ever found any joy in that time. But so I guess I haven't been tested, like properly tested. But for me, my experience has been that, I don't know, that that I can't – if I rail against what is happening, that's going to make it harder. Uh, how quickly can you process that? You know, from not very quickly. Okay. <laughs> no, not very quickly. So, what happens first? What happens before you get to the point where you start to go? I can rationalize this. I can be mindful about this. Mm. I can put this into my overall view of the world. Mm. What's the initial bit before that? The initial bit is crying a lot. I don't sleep at all. Wandering through the house like a like Lady Macbeth, just <laughs> churning <laughs> um, and uh, drinking a lot and um, just crying a lot and just really being so uh, so knocked about in your self-esteem, you know, just feeling like I'm worthless, no one will give me a job. At the time, I had a really bad diet, hair dye job. Not this one. It's recovered. But I had a hair disaster. Your hair looks good, by the way. Thanks. This is an audio Um, medium, but (laughs) just for the listeners at home, your hair Um, is on point. uh, Yeah, I had a hair disaster. So I bleached my hair and the first few goes was great, but then it was a disaster and it fell out. So then um, my hair's falling out at the same time. I think no one's going to ever hide me again because I'm bald. (laughs) I'm hideous. 
all I can do is eat ice cream and drink a lot. And, uh, you know, so there's probably a couple, a month or two of that. How easily. much of your personal self-worth is linked to your work, do you think? Not very much now, but I think all of us do that. All of us um, have that sense that, well, this is – I think it's a status thing, particularly – I don't know if we're particularly obsessed with it in Australia, but I had this thing for a while where I, well, I'm still sort of doing it, where, you know, people always ask, what what do you do? And so I was experimenting with not asking that question when you first meet someone. Right. So I was having a bit of fun trying to ask other questions. Yeah. And my, That's why it's, this podcast starts with, who are you? Exactly. <laughs> but you can't ask someone that when you're just meeting them at a grand final barbecue or something. You, go, you can be so. like, so who are you? <laughs> yeah. Barry. No, no, no. Who are you? Exactly. So my sister brought her new partner to Christmas Day and I, instead of asking him, what, what do you do? I said, so what are you into? And I think he thought I was oh. asking in some weird Do you of, party? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh my God, this is awkward. I just met my girlfriend's sister. I don't know what she's inviting me to. <laughs> so yeah, I think we're obsessed with status here and, and that's why we... We align who we are with what we do, our job. And, and that's a ridiculous thing to do. Uh, you mentioned before that, you know, horrible temptation in our minds to compare ourselves mm. to others. Mm. And I think you're right in what you say, that it is a completely destructive thing. Like um, the amount of times that I've had to say to somebody when they're bitching about someone getting a job, did you want that job? And they're like, no. And then you're like, well, why do you care one bit that somebody else got a job that you wouldn't even take if you were offered it yourself? But, but is that, it's but a isn't natural that, human thing to do. Do you think right? that's because we're creative, that we're worse at that? Because there are so few jobs. Oh, I don't think so. I think that probably in any industry, I reckon if you're a carpenter and some shitty carpenter gets the job instead of you. <laughs> you reckon? Then you're still like, look at old fucking Jesus. He's not oh, even doing his carpentry Jesus. anymore. He mostly just walks around with his mates, like walking on water and talking to people. I mean, he only got the job because he's brought all those fishes and loaves. Exactly, mate. And his dad <laughs> is a carpenter. It's a family business, mate. Just because he's turning water into wine. Does not matter. Exactly. Uh, Good for knockoff drinks on <laughs> Thursday, Jesus. Great to have around. Um, but are you a person who, do you, do you see yourself as a competitive person or is it something that just flashes in and out and that you kind of go, I don't like that about who I am? No, but I'm not competitive. I just um, see myself as lesser. Okay. But, so and see, I look at you and I think, well, Will Anderson, and this is what's so funny to me, and I, this is the rational side of my brain whenever right. I start comparing myself to other people, right? I look at Will Anderson and I think, highly successful dude, very much in demand. There's no chance that's a guy who um, struggles for work or struggles for the kind of work that he wants. And I think, well, I'm not that person. I've never been that person. I'm not in demand. I'm not someone who gets amazing gigs all the time. And I, I suppose I, I, I compare, my natural inclination is to compare myself in a way that, makes, that paints me as a complete loser. How many radio shows have you done that have been number one? Two. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, just, I'm told I'm the only woman in Melbourne to have done that. So, right. So, you know. I still haven't got a job. <laughs> I'm sitting here unemployed. It's only I'm been, not th unemployed. It's only been three months, but, mate. You'll yeah. be fine. 
<laughs> You'll be all right. But you I know think. what I mean? So then I think logically, though, if I'm no. someone who does that, then Will Anderson must do that too. Oh, I think everybody does that, right? And yeah. also, we only ever see the successes of what people – you see when that person mm. gets that job. You yes. don't see the three things that they didn't get or yeah. the – you don't see the fact that I sent oh, it's- five auditions to the Daily Show when mm. they were looking for new people and Ronnie Cheng, who's a young comedian who I love, by the yes. way, and very glad for his success, but he comes along and he suddenly is working on the Daily Show. Like, of course, you have all those things in your own life. Yeah. People just sometimes don't see them. No, exactly. It's Insta-life, isn't right. it? You're just comparing yourself to this ludicrous Insta thing. I think... Um, well, gorgeous Janelle Koenig, who is an amazing comic and a, one of my best friends, she, I think, quoted maybe Abraham Lincoln or someone like that. She said, they said... I'm sure Abraham Lincoln would be happy that it's Abraham some, Lincoln or some old guy. Definitely had a beard, I reckon. Sort of like. I, I'm not very good at, at remembering facts. Um, but the quote was, comparison is the death of joy. And it really is. It right. takes any kind of joy that you already have in your life away from you because you think... That person has more joy, and it's not true. That person does not have more joy. Unfortunately, what what, is, what I believe to be true, and this is just certainly my uh, personal perspective, but I think that what you're seeing is certainly reinforced by the nature of capitalism and advertising, <laughs> because <laughs> I love that you just said the nature of capitalism. Well, it is though. It's the best statement ever. Because yes. capitalism doesn't want you to be happy. Mm. Because if if you're happy with what you have. You don't need to buy any more shit. You don't have to get a bigger TV or you don't have to get a better car. The only reason that you have to do those things is because advertising is telling you that the guy next to you has a better car than you or a better house and those sort of things. And you shouldn't be happy with what you have because you should aspire to have this other thing. So Mm. we're raised on advertising from a very young age and it traps us in a cycle of always wanting more. So I think it's hard for us as human beings. We think it's our own inbuilt you know, jealousies and insecurities. But often we've just been raised, being manipulated by the world's greatest manipulators oh, to never be happy with what we have. It sends me insane. I live with a nine-year-old who children are the greatest capitalists you'll ever meet. Right. Because all they want is want, 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 want. I want that, I want that. And you're like, why? They can't even tell you why. Right. They just want it. And my husband, who's a hoarder, and he just just shit appears in our house and I spend my life just throwing stuff out in the cover of darkness so that I don't have it in my house and people don't even notice it's gone. But I desperately desire to be a minimalist. You have a house with nothing and I love that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I must admit that there is... I mean, it's extreme nothing. There's a part of me that would like a little bit more stuff than what I have. (laughs) Maybe the internet and a television. A fridge that isn't on the roof. Yeah, exactly. There's, There's some things I'd like, but... But I agree with you. Like the idea of, so for us, um, you know, uh, we're not moving all our stuff in here. This is a fresh start of like, you know, for this house and buying new stuff. And one of the things that I don't want to do is buy anything that's unnecessary. Yes. I just like to have a house that is like all the stuff you need, but nothing more than what you need. Nothing more. I love the idea of that. I have a friend who's a true minimalist and they only, it's him and his partner, they have two plates, a set of cutlery for each of them, a bowl each and a cup each. That's it. I mean... <laughs> I mean, they're not entertainers, obviously. I was going to say, <laughs> hard when you have people over. That's what they I would say. They clearly don't. But I'm very envious of that. that. And they don't ever have to... Like, they don't use the dishwasher because they don't have to. They just... 
wash it up when it is something it. about that where you just go well i'll just wash the dishes that i have i mean you were mocking me before because i don't have a kettle yet well the kettle <laughs> i mean i well i know i see there's something very practical about using a pasta pot right <laughs> for that. i mean it's just you know? it's used for boiling water it is essentially yes. a giant kettle that just doesn't have a practical spout i mean you imagine people coming from you know india and seeing us with all our different pots and thinking, why do you need so many different pots, pots of different shapes and sizes? You've got like three frying pans. <laughs> How many different degrees of frying are you really yeah, doing? Yeah. Exactly. You can't fry all of, all of the frying pans at the same time. No. I, I, it's, it's madness. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the idea that uh, there is some sort of path that we are on, which mm. is this, you know, sort of idea that you started with, let's kind of... I dig down a little deeper into okay. that and what you actually mean by that. So you spoke about um, losing your father when you were very young and yes. I imagine that shapes a life very much mm. like I imagine. I'm, I've been lucky enough that both my parents are still with us but mm. um, having had friends who've lost a parent young, uh, you see that it has an effect on their life. Do you mm. feel like that it has shaped your life in some way? Yeah, I think so and and it's it's hard for me to... Uh, reconcile the loss that my mother must have felt and how that really obviously had a horrific effect on her life. And, yeah, it's been a harder life for me, but at the same time I think I've benefited enormously from what I've learnt about compassion and strength and and it's made me someone who really understands loss in a way that I think is valuable as a human in relating to other people. Everybody has loss. And I kind of appreciate being able to understand that in other people and a lot of the work I do with different organisations and charities that are, are with people that are deeply sad, you know, homeless people or women who've been in crisis. I've not had that experience because I'm very blessed, but I, I think that I'm, I'm able to offer something because of, of my experience of loss. And, and that to me, in a way, that's sort of part of what I think is my path. I don't know. I, I, I want to have a very uplifting impact on the world and the people that I engage with. And I think that's partly because of that, that upbringing that I had of there being just deep sadness in our house. There's a, an empathy about your work that I think is probably one of its defining factors, to be honest. I was – I never quite understood it until I saw it up close – how good you are at understanding a moment or understanding we we were in the radio studio one day and this is not to in any way uh say that you know i hadn't thought that your work was great before but i got a closer and greater understanding of what made it so good i think in this moment where we were having a very fun chat about um you know like you know comedy festival or something sure. like that you know some nonsense some you know. fluff yeah exactly some <laughs> fluff having some fun but there was a story that day, a tragedy in the news and some children had been hurt in some way. I can't even remember how. It was probably yeah. a school shooting or something. Yeah. You know, there's so many of them these yeah. days. But you managed to transition from quite a comic conversation to just saying something, you know, very empathetic about the nature of being a mother and, you know, in the context of a day like that. And I, I was very struck by how easily you did it because it wasn't manipulative. Mm. It wasn't somebody going, I should reference this it was just a sort of genuine empathetic sort of thought you know mm. you said the thing mm. that I didn't know was the right thing to say until I heard you say oh, that's if that nice. makes sense 
Uh, do you think that is a strength of yours? I mean, it's hard to ask. I know you about that, <laughs> but I've told my story now. Yes. Do you get that sense that you are empathetic to other people's stories? Uh, uh, what I have the sense of is that my emotions are on the surface, probably more than a lot of other people, and I know that because I have friends who, and including my husband, and now my daughter as well, who roll their eyes when I start crying because, <laughs> like, oh, fuck, here she goes again. Because I really, it's just like I feel it's my, you know, the feels are really on the surface all the time. And if that's empathy, I guess that's what that is. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, I, get, <laughs> I had a friend who's, who's I have a friend uh, who's um, very, uh, he's that classic, understated, very dry gay man <laughs> when I we went for a walk through the what's that Hampstead cemetery in London which you know you're surrounded by dead people and we happened across the section where the babies are buried right. and I've just started bawling and he's gone oh what is wrong with you now and I'm like well children are buried here I'm sorry I feel things very deeply and he said I know but but must we hear about it all the time (laughs) and I'm like well I don't know it spills out of me I can't help it and I see it and feel it in other people and I guess all I I think that I just want people to know that I kind of get it do you have a um framework uh within which you protect yourself from that. Like, I mean, because it can't be a thing that you can do all the time, right? You can't wear your emotions, like, you know, on front street at all times. It's just not a practical way to live your life. So is there a two, is there kind of two different zones of you? Is there one where you're like, this is me. And so if I think something's hilarious, I can think it's hilarious. If I think it makes me cry, then I'm happy to cry. Or is there another you that you can kind of go into that could put that person away? Or is it always there? why we love comedy isn't that why well, we tell love? me why you love, love well, comedy. well i just feel i think um you just laugh you laugh through everything i learned that from my grandmother and my nana and my mother we were a family of women just, we just laughed no matter what told stories that were funny and i think that's one of the greatest joys of of comedy that you can you can laugh even when you are surrounded by deep sadness and I you know to me I think um that's that's why the philosophy around uh that this moment if you're in this moment there's you know sadness and happiness can coexist laughter can coexist with with the deep sad feels and and I guess that's where you know I'm not going to just burst into tears everywhere I go most of the time I'm going to be laughing at myself and what a maniac I am for crying all the time it's you know that's don't you think that's why we love comedy well I love that uh thought that the two things can exist at once because I think that often the mistake we make is we think that like you know life is very binary in that Mm. you are sad or that you are happy, or yeah. that you are angry, or you are, you know, yeah, you know, whatever. Like, and I, you know, I'm not talking about mental illness. That's a very different thing. Depression yeah. and 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 actual mental illness that is different. And you, you know, that by all accounts, that's a blackness you can't ever see light in. I get that. But I'm talking about, oh, I'm having a sad day. Well, but at the same time, I just fell over in the middle of the street, and that's hilarious. Which, yeah. by the way, I did do the other night and it was hilarious. Oh, I'm a big <laughs> so, faller over as you? well. 
I'm so unco. <laughs> like, and I, and you know what? I also, for somebody who can't bend over very well, I drop things all oh, the time. Oh, no, how annoying. Like, all the time. I'm so clumsy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, when you're a grown up and you have, when you trip like a kid and you're a grown up, that's, that's as comical as it can get. I mean, it really is one of those things where I, um, uh, so I'm just doing this show at the moment about uh, getting arrested and one of like there's stories in it that didn't make the cut because you just can't quite make them work for the story. Yes. But one of the things that I ended up having to leave out of the show was like, so I've got arrested. I've still got to try to make it to the show. I've got like 10 minutes to have a shower yeah. and I've got a bad back. And yeah. so I've had the shower, but the floor's slippery in the hotel. <gasps> And so as I'm going to put on my shoes, I slip over oh, no. and nearly break my back again. And I just thought, imagine if they found me after being arrested, like with my <laughs> pants around my ankles, like on the floor. Like, but I'm unco. I just fall over all the time. It's but terrible. But maybe it's because you've got a bad back and you balance it Nah, I was unco before. No, were you? This hasn't helped. I'm trying to be nice to you. <laughs> no, I appreciate to it. Find, find a reason for things. Uh, what framework do you, like, so if you say that, you know, we're on some sort of path or that, you know, mm. kind of a version of that these things are happening. Not everything happens for a reason because I no. think that's tried. Yeah. But that, you know, life is about experiencing good things bad yes. things tough things challenging things that's what being a human being is and if you think it's going to be anything else yeah. than that you're kind of fooling yourself yes. and then you have a choice to then go well this is life yeah what yeah you know, what is happening right now this sadness the fact that i've had a setback professionally or personally or i have an illness or you know my child has an illness mm. or these are all the things of life mm. you would be ridiculous if you were thinking you were going to live life without these things happening exactly. so i will be in this moment and understand it to be the best way to deal with it, to be in the moment. How, where did that line of thought come from? How did it develop in you? Has it been something that you've thought that way for a long time or is that a recent sort of thing uh, that you've come to? No, I, I certainly wasn't. I don't think I was raised that way. I was raised in a Christian family. So it was sort of, I guess, the way I was raised was uh, pray to God and it will be okay. I guess. So it's sort of a similar philosophy in a way because And did any but, of that stick, the religious stuff? Uh yeah, in as much as I do I do pray, I have a real sense. But then it's no different to meditation. It's kind of the same thing. And and positive mantras. That's basically what prayer is really. It's just you've given it a person or a being that you're praying to. I I don't know. But um the the whole mindfulness and uh, being in the present, I guess that started maybe 15 years ago. I read the book um, The Power of Now and it just, just fucking blew my mind. Just what? this concept that there is no past and there is no future. That there is only now. There's only now. So yeah. all of those hurts from the past, which, oh, my God, I'm, I'm a churner. I like to hold on to everything. It's like someone, if you came up to me and said, see that really sad thing you're holding on to? I'd be going, no, it's mine. I want that sad thing. I want that sad thing for ages to be really sad about. You know, it's craziness. Um, no, I don't think that's craziness. I think that's a very natural human instinct that you hold on to your hurt mm. and you reframe it in your own way. But I also think that you use it to torture and prosecute yourself. Yes. I think I mean, that we all like, have that voice in our head. They say that, um, you know, our our uh, survival instinct 
is to hold on to those things because that's how we learn not to run after that bear again. Right. You know, so that's, that's, that's why we do it. But our brains can't understand that there is no bear anymore. We kind of still fear that bear. <laughs> it's right. like, let go of the bear. Seriously, bear's not going to hurt you anymore. It's just that's that amygdala, that part of our brain, that ancient part of the brain that still has the cortisol and still has the stress and, you know. Um, so there's that, but also the, the fear of what might happen in the future, which if you have anxiety, that will, that you know, you stay awake at night just going, <gasps> if oh, that wind, I can hear that wind, what if it knocks over the tree outside and my house <laughs> My, my roof caves in right through to in a year's time I have to go to that thing and I'm fucking terrified of it now and I won't sleep for a whole year thinking about that thing. Like this, this is partly why I don't do stand-up anymore. I just can't. I can't deal with the anxiety. What part of stand-up <laughs> made you anxious? Because, mm. well, I mean, to me, okay, I'll give you some context. To me, you seem like a very natural performer. When I first met you, you seemed like one of the people who was most comfortable on stage of anybody who was around our age. We were all, you know, there was a whole gang of us around the sort of same age doing shows together. And you always certainly came across, at least externally, as being a very comfortable performer. So was it the performance aspect? Was it the anticipation uh, anticipation aspect what 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 aspect of it made you anxious i don't really remember because back then i did i think i did like it yeah well also you can change right mm. <laughs> that's I the other think thing i just got old and beautiful right. and what's the fear uh, people hating me i guess Aren't you frightened of that when you go on stage? Like your 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 stage presence is so phenomenal and your confidence is so blinding that it's hard again, here we go, back to the comparison thing. It's hard to imagine that Will Anderson ever questions himself, either on stage or before or after, right? Or is Right, but the the, the But the, I'm the, assuming the th- that you do, because but of course, everyone fears not being liked. Yes, but also if I was that confident in real life, I wouldn't have to do that. Do you know what I mean? Like The reason that I do that, the reason that that me is so confident, that that's the, you know, the Mr. Hyde me, the, you know, secret identity me that I would love to be. Totally. Absolutely. Isn't that, I mean, people, and I guess that's why I was drawn to the stage, just seeking some kind of validation. I don't know. Maybe now, because I I get validation, genuine validation from the people that love me and, and from myself. I don't. That's, you know, that's an interesting thing because like it's, it's one of the things that I talk about a lot is that you, the reason you start something is not necessarily the reason that you keep doing something. Right. And if you, if I was still doing stand up for validation, Mm. the validation is now the least interesting part. For sure. You know, and it would be for you as well. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? If you don't find a new reason to like it or a new Mm. reason to engage with it and you are still trying to. Yeah, do it for the reasons you started doing yes. it, you know, to get free beer and meet girls or whatever. <laughs> you <know>? Yes. <laughs> you know, it would be kind of old and pathetic and sad, you know. And so I get that. Yeah. My mind has certainly changed in the way that, you know, what I look for through it as well. So I can totally get that. Um, but you obviously are still a performer. And yes. So why radio? What, what did radio do in a way that stand-up didn't? Because... 
you're saying, what if people hate me? Well, if you're on the radio, people mm. can hate you too. No, it's I don't not really like care you've. About that. Somehow it doesn't. Somehow that doesn't doesn't hurt. Because they're not there. They're not there in front of you. And I actually think um, largely it's the fact that, uh, like, so uh, if if I I actually do want to go back to live performance, I just don't find stand up as something that I'm. Firstly, you have to go back to doing your flying hours, and I just I'm too tired. I can't be fucked. No, I can understand. Too much work. Um, That's why I don't never stop because exactly. I couldn't start again if I did. Well, it's why I still run every week because yeah. I know if I stop, I'll never get it back. Uh, so it's the same, it's yeah. the same thing for stand up. But I do want to go back to live performance. But what I want to find is a version of it that actually I find rewarding as a form. And in radio, I think I just found that the medium so rewarding. So I was able to put aside the fear that people might not like me. Plus, it led me, radio led me, because of that relentless need for content every day, it led me to one of my other key philosophies in life is if you want to be happy, just lower your standards, right? <laughs> because you just, you know, when you right. have to rock up every day with content, yep. when you start, you're like, oh, that joke's not good enough. Yep. A year later, After a while, it's like, fucking brilliant. It filled three minutes. I was pretty happy with it. That's, it. that's the best gear I've brought ever. <laughs> You know, so, and that's my philosophy in life too. I'm like, you know what? Stop aiming so high. Not to say you don't have goals, but the only difference between you being happy then and being happy now is if you just lower, just drop your standard a little, you'll be fine. You've changed your perspective on what it is. Yeah. You know, the idea that everything has to be perfect. There is, I I mean, I think that is a really, it, it sounds so counterintuitive to people, but I think it's really insightful, which is, that often the only reason you're not happy with something that is that you've set your own standard of what it should be Absolutely. too high. And if you just knock it down a couple of rungs, you'll be like, oh, actually, <laughs> I'm like, nailing this. I am killing it today. I put a bra on. Everybody should be fucking like, applauding me as I'm walking the streets. Look at that chick in her bra. Amazing. Because yesterday I couldn't even do that. So, you know. It's one of those things um, in America when uh, you play stand-up clubs uh, they introduce everybody with their credits. You know, you oh. would have seen this guy on Conan and the Tonight Show oh and he blah, 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 this. And Australians, we have the complete opposite approach. The one that I like to quote is Peter Hallier, who used yeah. to start his show with the voiceover, uh, please turn off your mobile phones and lower your expectations. It's Peter <laughs> Hallier. But I was like, that's what we like. You know, yeah. lower your expectations and then we might, you know, slightly surpass them and that would yeah. be a pleasant surprise. Um, rather than building it up too much. I think that's a really interesting point of view. Are you able to do that outside of work? Yeah, like, very much. I don't know why I turned into work. Luke McGregor then. You know, work. Work. Like, work. Work. Um, yeah, for sure. Like my house, absolute pigsty. My wardrobe, I almost never put anything away. It's all on the floor. I look like I've gone on the run, my wardrobe. I... I'm happy if my daughter eats vegetables, say, three nights a week. Sometimes it's less. <laughs> I mean, you know, as long as we're, we're, she's not got scurvy, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but that's a good example, right? Like, <laughs> like you joke, but I think that that's something that at least, because I don't have kids of my own, mm. obviously, but having observed friends, mm. you often find that, you know, people, like they come to this realisation of sometimes that'll do, whatever mm. will do will do, whatever mm. gets it done 
gets it done. That's a perspective you get from having children because well, it's very easy to say, I'll feed my kids organic, you know, uh, vegan, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And then you're just like, you know what? He ate Dim Sims for three years. Yep. That's all he could eat, but he's alive <laughs> and he doesn't have scurvy, so yeah. that'll do. I mean, well, parenting is one of those things where you see people torture themselves. And I think, I mean, is your kid in jail? Then you're okay. Yeah. Is your kid... You know, as I say, scurvy is your kid beating other kids up, then you're okay. Yeah, like there are so many, like is your kid a drug addict at 12? <laughs> no, right. then you're okay. Like I just, I don't know. I, I, having my daughter made a big difference to my perspective on the world because I was just, also she was in, in at the children's hospital a bit. She's had some, you know, issues and you'd get in a lift with families that have kids that are, having cancer treatment or uh, you can tell are extremely ill and you just think, oh, my God, what the fuck am I worried about? Honestly. So so this child is addicted to the iPad and she never looks me in the eye (laughs) unless I put the (laughs) – unless I hide the iPad. Um, You know, that's that's normal. That's life. How great. I mean, what you really should be doing is like recording messages for her – on your phone and then just sending them straight to the iPad. That's what you need to do. You I just need parent. to appear in between episodes of whatever she's watching on the iPad yes, yes. and just give some, like, you know, and by the way, here's some things you need to know. I should get it. I should make an avatar for myself and just appear. If I was really good at technology, there should be some kind of coding that you could do to do that. I mean, that's actually, in do you know thing. what? That's actually like probably a good app. It's probably a good idea for an app if someone was out there, some sort of thing where parents can sort of appear yes. in avatar form on their kid's iPad and sort of give instructions. Mm. But you know, but you idea. know, all the freaking parent militants will say, no, because just take the iPad off them. I'm like, oh, fuck, okay. I do can't you, be bothered having that fight with her some days. Do you feel that um, parenting is competitive? Like, is that something that – it's something that I hear. Again, I don't I have kids of my own. But is it – I think that's no, bullshit. I right, think you're only competitive with yourself. Again, lowest standards. Because really, no one fucking cares. They're too busy dealing with their own annoying children. Honestly, <laughs> no one cares. I – Largely don't like other people's children. Right. Right. There are a few in my life that are like my best friend's kids or my nephews and niece and, you know, those kids I like. But on the whole, your child is annoying to me, so I don't give a shit what you're doing. That's I'm, what I'm, wa- I'm only worried about my own kids. Yeah. People are like, oh, Will, you've got dogs. You like dogs. And I said, no, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. I like our dogs. Yeah. And then I'm, because that I like our dogs, I'm mildly interested in other dogs. I'm the same. Nuts over other people's dogs. Yeah, I'm like, mm, keep it to yourself. A, yeah, because that dog smells like a smelly dog, whereas my dog smells like my dog yeah. smells. Like. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm sure that people walk into my house and go, "Oh, doggy smell," and I'm right. like, "I can't smell it." Yeah, because it's my dog. Exactly. I can put my face in her tummy, and it smells delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a cat owner too? You know cats? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had recent uh, cat tragedies oh, so no. so we had three cats mm. and uh one of them moved out of home oh no because someone else is feeding and i bet uh no uh what happened was we got the dogs and one of the oh. cats who was a burmese diego oh. uh burmese cats are like dogs mm. and they're very possessive about the time that they get to spend so diego <laughs> was like no nah, fuck this so oh. moved across the street oh. to our neighbor pip who we love right and who 
loves Diego. So he decided that he was like, I'd rather go over there where I get 100% attention than stick around at this house. But we were like, well, that's okay. You know what? Your teenagers move out eventually. We're fine with this. He's still across the road. We can visit, you know, that sort of thing. But then we've had in the last year, both of our other cats have died. So we're, yeah, it's been a bit of a sad old time. So Mm. we've been discussing with the new move about whether we'll uh, get a new cat. But we've got Mm. the two dogs as well. So we're uh, in that world at the moment. I'm a cat lover. I love the way cats love. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, they love on their terms. You know how dogs, like we have a Labrador and we have a Tonkinese, which is a Burmese Siamese cross. And the Labrador makes me sick how desperate she is for love. Right. And she will roll over for any for anyone. sad yeah. loser walking down the street. If it looks like she's going to get cuddles, she's like, yeah, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I'm like, come on, Scout. Get some dignity. Yeah. Like, have some pride. Too easy. Whereas the cats, they're yeah. like, feel like loving you today yeah. like, or, or the other one the cats yeah. do really well which is just that thing of going you can love me for a bit but mm. now i'm done that's it like the minute you're like are oh, you really loving this head rub and then it's like yep done now <laughs> that's it got some other stuff to do and i think for a long time like for a long time i was i'm better now but i'm quite a um i'm a very independent person I'm not someone who allows myself to be vulnerable with other people and certainly in my relationship for a long time daz and i were like married but not really connected um because that's sort of how i i, I get the way cats love that they're just like yeah I'm, i doesn't mean i don't love you all the time i just don't need you right it's great yeah and i can love you all the time i can love you uh while i'm doing something else totally and i can love you actually better sometimes else. when you're not here <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's it. Some, I love you so much more when you're not here at yeah. all. Yeah. Sometimes the best way to appreciate you is for you to not be here. Because <laughs> sometimes when you're here, I actually appreciate you less. Oh my God, yeah. so much so. Let me miss you a little. Yeah, my husband, God bless him. But Jesus, the, even the sound of him chewing. I have to, <laughs> like I have to sit, we have a very long dining table and I sit on the end and he sits on the other end and I have my fingers <laughs> in my ears. Because just the sound of him chewing... <laughs> Which I'm told, according to Kelly Osborne, is yeah. a psychological thing. She oh. won't let anyone chew in her presence. But I'm it's not interesting quite that because there's a new kind of internet trend. Do you know what ASMR? I think that's what's called ASMR. Is it's people who like, um, you know, sounds like chewing or like <gasps> people people unwrapping cellophane and stuff like that. Oh yeah, it's a oh, it's a no. real thing. Oh, that is that makes my whole. <laughs> for pleasure oh yeah yeah it's quite a it's a big big thing i think it's called asmr have you heard of it michael no anyway it's like oh. that tickle thing too well I mean, yeah ugh. that I, I okay so in, that's interesting to me you don't like being tickled no 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 me neither i like to be touched hard will <laughs> <laughs> and uh we'll be back after this message from our sponsors <laughs> no but just like don't be half ass about it like, you know, yeah. if you're going to put your hand on me, like... Put... <laughs> properly, that whole lighthearted thing. I'm like, what are you doing? That's gross. Uh, how do you feel about someone who... Oh, I'm interested in this. Because uh, we, we just live in a changing world and for a, a bunch of really good reasons. Um, it, we're in a transition at the moment where I feel like and this is an observation, not a... Because I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, you can't even open a door anymore or whatever, mm. the, you know. Mm. 
I think we're in an interesting transition in the way mm-hmm. that people greet each other. Because oh, what yeah, I've right. noticed is, particularly with women, yes. is there's that we're still kind of in between that thing of going, there'll be some people who naturally go in to kiss a man regardless mm. of whether they know them or not still. And there's Which some people weird. who, ha- yeah. And there's like some people are very comfortable with a handshake. Some people hate a handshake mm. still. You know, there's we, we, we are still in that zone where some people have moved very much to, you know, you greet men and women the exact same way. Mm. And there's, there's a kind of in-between there. When you were in the radio and you were meeting a lot of different people. Oh, people love a kiss. That's interesting, so isn't it? So weird, don't you think? If you just met someone, they're coming in for a kiss. I think so. <laughs> it's just like, what are you doing? But also, <laughs> I bet I've done it in my life before because you're. It's not. Sometimes you don't realize how strange something is <laughs> until it's pointed out how strange it is, and then you can never look at it the other way again. Yes. Like I think I was raised in a country. You know, you kissed women, you shook men's hands. Yeah, but you wouldn't kiss someone you didn't know. Well, I think you probably did. Would you? Well, I mean, not kiss, kiss, but that sort of like a kiss on the cheek. I yeah. ki- I always shake hands, male or female. Yeah. If I'm meeting someone for the first time, I really like a sh- good handshake, and you look them in the eye, and it's very something very kind of respectful and honest about that to me. Right. Um, a kiss on the cheek with someone I don't know, I find weird, and I don't really want to do that. I don't want to kiss someone on the cheek I've never met before. I mean, it seems weird. <laughs> Like, like the more you say it out loud, you're like, it just seems weird. It's so weird. But even now too, because I've noticed with girlfriends, we all kiss hello, right? Yep. Which is lovely. But it gets to a point where you might see them three times in one day because you've got school drop-offs, school pick-up, and then you've got like a birthday party in the afternoon. And by the birthday party, I'm still kissing them hello. I'm like, enough kissing. I don't know why I'm kissing you. I just saw you an hour ago. <laughs> so I've tried to stop that, but then they get a bit odd. They, they go in for a kiss and I'm like, well, and then I think that makes it awkward as well. But uh, yeah. With my uh, male friends, I am a hugger. I definitely I love a, a, a big hugger, hugger between men. I love seeing men hug. But I had, uh, so when I started doing the, the radio show, when they, the morning of the announce that I was going to do the radio show, mm. so Mick and Eddie and Luke are in the studio and I've sort of come in and they're going to announce that, you know, I'm going to be doing the show yes. next year. So Mick and Luke are both, you know, 20-year friends of mine. Yeah. So I come into the studio, you know, they're like, congratulations. I give Mick a hug and I then I give Luke a hug. <laughs> and, then, and then suddenly I'm like, wow, I've really put myself in a situation here. <laughs> you, can't, you can't deny the hug. <laughs> like, and then oh, we no. both just had a hug that we both knew neither of us wanted and was never going to happen again. No. <laughs> but it happened. Well, I mean, and I think that's why people... <laughs> I think that's why... I just hadn't looked far enough ahead <laughs> in the consequences of my first two readily offered hugs. <laughs> I think that's often why people feel trapped into kissing the person they've never met before because right. they're with a friend of yes. theirs. So you kiss hello right. and then with you your feel mate like, yeah. and then, oh, this is so-and-so yeah. and you're like, oh. Yeah, it but feels I, like a I, judgment. Yeah, but <laughs> I will go, I'm not going to kiss you. I literally will say, I'm not going to kiss you. I've only just met you. Uh, Joe, we are just going to have a pause. <laughs> oh, okay, good.
uh, I won't mention what you just said. <laughs> no, but don't do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it, I, I do want to talk about one thing though, which is that you have had a lot of experience of working with other people, which is something that I'm interested yes. in. Uh, you know, when you first started out, uh, you know, you were in a trio when I first saw you. Yes. Um, you know, obviously you've worked in a whole lot, bunch of radio partnerships. Mm. You know, you've worked in collaboration uh, with a range of very different people. Mm. Um, what have you learnt about working with other people? Ah. Well, my number one philosophy around that is, and I think you'd agree with me, Will, that this is unusual I think if I'm focused on making the other person look and sound better I'll look and sound better whereas I think a lot of performers are really only focused on them being the funniest or the wittiest or the quickest or the strongest or the last laugh or the last word or whatever the hell they worry about and I just don't think long term at least and possibly short-term as well. I just don't think you're going to be as successful and be as funny. I, I just think you look better if you try to make the other person look better. The only time that somebody's <laughs> sitting at home counting the jokes or, you know, like... Exactly. It's a, the only time anyone's ever doing that is if something's not working. Exactly. If something's working, everyone's great and everyone's yeah. hilarious. And if it's not working, then it becomes that idea of going, well, I got my bit away. Yeah, but don't you reckon that's... There's a lot of people have that attitude. It's interesting. Like I, I find it like because I'm very similar to you in that regard, which mm. is, you know, I go into something and I go, well, what are the resources that we have mm. and how can we best use the resources that we have? And if everybody is better, mm. like if I am giving someone the ball in a better position, Absolutely. they will be better and therefore our show will be better yeah. and therefore – you know, we all look better. Yeah. It's not about, you know, me necessarily coming in and making it about me. But that's an interesting thing to understand or know. Uh, did you think you knew that at the start? Is it something that you've always had intrinsically in you a bit or is it something that you had to develop, that idea of that by making other people better, you can also make yourself better? Well, maybe I learnt that in Year 10 Drama and Theatre Studies, doing theatre sports. I mean, it's pretty basic stagecraft isn't it i don't know if it is actually <laughs> like well uh, so tell me about i don't really <laughs> don't think i know much about like your high like your schooling where did you grow up i grew up northern suburbs of melbourne uh and what does that mean northern like, suburbs well yolambi was the suburb so lower plenty greensboro way okay um went to school a long way from there in canterbury at a girls school okay all girls all girls uh so i'm interested in people who go to same-sex schools because I went... <laughs> Did you? No, I went oh. to a um, co-educational school right. and I find it a really interesting thing we do as a society that during our formative years... Because here's the thing that I would say is I think we need to... Like, I mean, as human beings, men and women have a whole range of difficulties of understanding each other and working together. More and more so, it seems. Right. And I'm not <laughs> sure that much of that is helped by splitting us off for the most formative mm. parts of our lives. I often think that the attitude that men have towards women often mm. comes from men who didn't stand side by side mm. with women. You build up all these uh, myths or theories about women because you didn't actually you know, practically go to class with yes. any women. But there might be, you know, positives and upsides as well. I think that um, 
single sex schooling, I can't even know what they call it, but like... I think uh, that. ...is probably better for women. Yeah, I, when it's, it, I think as a philosophy, yeah. uh, an educational philosophy, um, universally, they say uh, single-sex schooling is better for girls, boys should go to co-ed schools, yeah. uh, which is unfortunate for the girls that go to those co-ed schools as <laughs> some kind of sacrifice to make sure those boys are raised understanding how to engage with women. But <laughs> it's kind of, it, They should do it and it should be kind of like the Hunger Games, yeah. like each... Yeah, district has to nominate one each year and you're going to go and live yeah. amongst the boys. You're going to have to be at the school. Sorry about that. Just no. for the benefit of the whole, the whole of humankind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, I, was a, I am a natural introvert, very introverted at that age and I know that I just would not have done as well in a, a class with boys. It wasn't a choice. My mum just yeah. chose for us to go there anyway. It wasn't, wasn't like I had a choice but certainly – uh, Daz and I are continually talking about where Willow will go to high school and I want her to go to a girls' school. And Daz tells me exactly the same argument that you've presented, that that's not society. But um, I, I just think girls need assistance or they need, they need to be in an environment where they are not going to be naturally kowtowing to the energy of boys in the classroom. Yeah, Which no, I mean, is, I, yeah. you know, honestly, Will, if I was sitting next to you in a classroom, I would not speak up. At that age, there's no way I would have. No, I understand that. No, I think <laughs> I, I think what you said before is yeah. absolutely 100% right. Yeah. That the boys need the girls, yeah. but the girls don't need the <laughs> boys. Need the boys. <laughs> I, I feel like this Hunger Games yeah. tribute idea is actually the one that we're on to. Unfortunately, though, there has to come a time when you do learn yes. to speak up in a, in a room full of men. And... Uh, more and more, hopefully, the gender parity will mean that that's not the case. But unfortunately, according to the World Gender Gap Report last year, it's going to be 217 years until we reach full parity on this planet. So for my daughter's generation, she needs to know how to speak up in a room full of men. I'm just not sure that when you're learning uh, your maths and your English lit and you're trying to get the best score you can to leave school and get into a good university course, that's the right place for it. Should we be doing a better job just in general? Because I often think that the inbuilt sexism or misogyny or just mm. like inherent male bias in our systems mm. that has been there for obviously, you know, for the origin of, you know, the species and that yes. we're now dealing with finally in a sort of, you know, in a way that it feels like, you know, well, people... at least are, we're aware of it. Right. <laughs> you know. Most of it, yes. Yeah. I, I often think that it serves men as badly as it 100%. serves women. percent This is, you know, I work constantly for gender equality, not just because I want my daughter to have opportunities that perhaps I didn't have, but because I want her male cousin, who's the same age as her, to feel like he can be the person that he is. It's about recognising the human, not the gender. It's about allowing that child to grow into the person they are regardless of stereotypes, not actually imposing, well, you're a boy so you should play sport. Boys don't necessarily need to play sport. They don't want to play sport. Some of them want to be arty. Some of them want to be creative. Some don't want to dance around in lycra or whatever the hell. It's your choice. And, I, and, and it, when you really sort of filter that down, that's why, it has to be why, men don't feel like they can be in touch with your emotions. And that's why we have suicide rates in men. That's why we have relationship problems because boys aren't allowed to 
be that kind of person in the same way girls aren't allowed to, I don't know, do science and engineering and all those sorts of things. The example that you used, if we're sitting together in class, uh, I absolutely agree that it probably would have gone the exact way that you thought it would have gone, that I would have been the loudmouth smart-ass. I'm imagining that's what you were like in right, class, absolutely, were you? that was what I was <laughs> like. And, you know, the, the ones who made the teacher cry, you know. <laughs> you make the teacher cry uh, one day I said something she goes well if you think you know so much you get up here and teach the class so I did and <laughs> of course did. she didn't of course she didn't did. appreciate that and she cried I felt I feel bad now but this is, but the point is I wish that I'd learned back then I understand what you're saying hmm. but I wish I'd learned back then about the idea that because what you don't learn is the idea that you're speaking over women or that you're yeah. not acknowledging yeah. women's point of views or that women will wait if a like you know mm. as in that that if I keep talking that isn't because everyone thinks I'm the most interesting but it's because <laughs> the woman next to me you know feels like she's been silenced or doesn't have a voice or an opportunity to speak up yeah i honestly am still struggle and i've, I've caught myself doing it a couple of times during this interview mm. is that rem- remembering just not to naturally talk over someone or mm. to, you know, uh, reframe their idea as my <laughs> idea. You know, I've done it a couple of times already and I, it's not like I, I am intentionally doing it anyway, but through 30 years of, you know, you being treated in the same way and expected mm. to behave in the same way, those things are as hard for me to unpack and yes. unpick yes. because – there's been years and years and years of people teaching you that was the way that things were without you having that realisation. So I guess what I'd rather and would hope for in the future is a time where we're sitting next to each other in class and I go to talk over the top Mm. of you and it's pointed out to me how that what that is that I'm doing and mm. how it would be better for me to you know include other people in that conversation. I'd love that too. Yeah. I mean you started in kinder. Right. I mean Kid, boys and girls sit next to each other in kinder and you see boys are just much more rambunct- rambunctious, you know. They're, 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 and again, it's, it, even having the conversation around gender and the types of people that kids are is already putting us back in that same position. Like right. we're, we're, <laughs> we're making it a gendered conversation. But the fact is when you see children in a uh, – kids like in a, a childcare facility in their age two – they're already their behaviours often fall into the genders, and even from there, you could be having that conversation to a little boy or a little girl. That's sort of what the what was the uh, safe schools safe schools yeah the safe schools program, which apparently is teaching boys that they want to cut their penises off. That's mm. what the, the extreme right is suggesting. It's teaching. Yeah. Uh, it's not. It's teaching kids to understand that you don't have to fall into those gendered roles, but also, yeah, be aware of each other. It's basic respect, really. It's basic respect for other people as they speak and as they express their opinions and their who they are. But um, so, th- so when it comes to work relationships, which mm. is where we started this conversation, you've worked with a range of very different personalities. Mm. How do you change and adapt to you know, working with someone who might be a complete opposite personality or dynamic to you know, the previous person you worked with but in a similar role? That's not to. I don't. Um, I, I don't want to get into a world where you have to draw direct comparisons. No, no, I just. No. I'm more interested in the overall philosophy of 
you know, working with two different people in the same sort of job and, you know, how you adapt to the way, different ways that people work and respond and all those sort of things. Well, I mean, I think um, I'm, I'm a, I always fall to, and I think this is not because I'm a woman, maybe it is, but I think it's more that I'm a middle child and I just let other people speak first and listen to what they're saying and then I'll make my point. That's kind of how I've always gone. And at Fox, it was kind of a recognised thing and then people would talk around it and then eventually someone would go, well, usually Dave Cameron would go, and Joe, and, <laughs> and I'd say what i say and everyone would go, yeah, what she said probably is right here. Uh, because I just kind of, you know, I'm not interested in competing for, for airspace or volume. Ironically, in my family, we're all women and we're extremely loud. So potentially I am in that space. But in a workplace, no, I, I just would rather hear what other people say. Uh, and that way you tend to get on well with people if they trust that you're going to just let them talk first, which now, I mean, even I hear myself say that and I kind of don't like that in myself. I wish I was more uh, assertive, I guess. Um, but 10 years on one show probably wouldn't have happened if I – was more assertive initially, I guess. And I certainly, my relationship with Matt Tilly was so great because we worked, we understood each other and we listened to each other. And, um, you know, there was never a point where he t walked all over me. I never felt like he got his own way regardless of what I thought. It was just that we would sort of negotiate that conversation, I guess. I don't know. It's a weird, I've not, I've not thought about it a lot. Uh when you do a job like radio, you spoke earlier about the idea that it's just constantly churning through ideas. You yeah. know, it's a voracious beast and you have to fill three hours a day, you know, full of content from uh, your life and from the world. Mm. It's the life bit that I'm uh, more interested in because how how much of your life do you give to the public versus how much of it do you keep to yourself and how do you decide which bits are which? Well, I'm I would ask you the same question because I've always – I've loved the way, Will, how you are so on top of what's happening in the news and, and your jokes are very about the content of the day, whereas that's not my natural inclination. I can do it, but it's not – I'm more about anecdotal – this is what happened in my life, I'm sure it's the same as yours, kind of connection with the audience. So um, how did you navigate that? How you, do you navigate that? I give um, – I lean very hard into the things that I'm comfortable talking about about yes, my life. right. <laughs> and then leave everything else alone. Yeah. So, you know, I get arrested on a plane, I write a whole fucking show about it yes. and I tour it everywhere. And yeah. so people are like, look at how – you look, he open bleeds for us. He's yes. open and honest. Yes. But there are whole – other aspects of my life that are none of your business, you know? Yeah. And so what I tend to do is like keep the, I, uh, my general rule is that I'm pretty much happy to talk about anything where I am the yes. butt of the joke. Yes. But if it involves someone else in my world who hasn't chosen to be in that world, they've chosen to be in my world, but not in the world of having to have their life talked mm. about on the radio or having to have their life discussed on stage and those sort of things, then uh, those people only become characters in my show if 
I am the, the the joke is about me or the thing yeah. is about you know me doing something wrong or me you know being the punchline of the scenario so that's kind of my general philosophy yeah. to my life and how I you know put my life you know out to the public I think that's a really good that's always been my philosophy too and people always say oh poor Daz you know he he cops so much but actually everything I share of him firstly is true so that's my ultimate defense <laughs> I'm not making it up he did it. Um, but secondly, it's always through the prism of our discord as couple and I see me, me, myself as as much a part of that story as he is. Like I feel like I'm telling a story because I am reacting in a fairly extreme way and therefore I look a, like a fool as well. But I, I was on a, um, a panel with Danny Katz and Claire Halliday you know, Danny's been columnist for how many years? 20-something years? Forever. Forever. And his writing is all about his life. And Claire Halliday's written some books that are all sort of about her life and others. And we're talking about that exact question of at what point are you – should you draw the line when you're talking about other people? And, and Claire had interviewed some people who really had exploited others well, exploited is a strong word. I'm using that word. She didn't. But, you know, had told stories about other people – and they were very unhappy about it. I said, please don't publish it. And still they went ahead and published it. And I just don't think that's your right. It's not your story to tell someone else's, even if you've got a perspective of it. Like, you know, you've got a father and a son talking about the same instance and the son's perspective is, oh, it was horrific. And the father's saying, mm, that's not my memory of it. Well, is it your right to tell that story in that way then that paints him in such a bad light? It's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, I mean, I guess it's varying degrees of things. You know, mm. it would de- de- depend on what the degree of the hurt is and mm. how much, you know, of it you're allowed to tell yourself. But I certainly know from my point of view, if, you know, my parents are in a story or whatever, it's traditionally they're the heroes of that yeah. bit. Or that, you know, I'm the punchline of that bit. Because, you know, they're dairy farmers from country <laughs> Victoria. You know, they didn't... They didn't expect this, you yes, know, they didn't right. expect any of this. And, you know, every now and again, they'll find me on the, you know, a current affair or on the front of the papers <laughs> and they have to deal with that embarrassment. Yes. So I don't want to have to put them through extra stuff as well. My, and, and when you have a child, like when Willow was a baby, people just expected I'd be like, yeah, sure, get a photo of my kid. Right. And I'd always say no, because I'd say, well, she's not old enough to give consent to that. People are amazed. They were like, oh, but it's your baby. I'm like, yeah, I don't own her. She is an entity of her own. Like she has total ownership of her choices. It's just she can't express them right now. Um, And now she's older. She is on my social media because I ask her, are you okay with this photo? There are plenty of times she'll go, no way, mum, that's not – take another one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying I don't want to be on there. I'm just saying – Yeah, but, you know, it's it's crazy to think that just because someone's in your life and you happen to be in the media that they, they then are consensual to that to them being in the media. Uh, what has been apparent, and I don't expect there to be one answer to this necessarily, but yeah, perhaps what what has most surprised you about being a parent, I guess is what I really want to know. What mm. was it about, what is it about being a parent that you've gone, oh, this is a big part of it that I didn't realise was going to be part of it at all? Is there something that falls into that category? Well, this is going to sound crazy, but I didn't, think I would love her as much. <laughs> I love that. So like what do you So mean? even when I was pregnant and I don't know whether that this is because of the kind of person I am or as I've mentioned earlier the sort of the way that I have loved or whatever, I don't know. 
Um, but I just didn't, even when I was pregnant, I didn't kind of connect with the concept of being as in love with that person as I ended up being. And then when we had her, she was very sick and it was sort of a few days before I really kind of understood even what was going on. And then I just remember this moment, like at maybe she was day five or six and just being just, um, I couldn't believe how much I loved her. And every single day that you're a parent you love that child more and now what's crazy like I've always thought when people say oh my kid's my best friend I'm like oh my god you sad fucker (laughs) (laughs) Um, but genuinely she's my best friend I genuinely couldn't think of a person I would rather be sitting next to and she and I are so addicted to each other we're like joined at the hip and every time I think about the fact that one day I'm going to say goodbye to her in an airport and she's going to backpack around the world and I honestly, I have been on the couch inconsolably crying at the thought of that. You know, Samantha Lane, <laughs> do you know Sam Lane, you yeah. know, the journalist? Yeah. And uh, she uh, sat where you're sitting uh, a week ago and talked about the fact that her dad is still her best friend. Oh, and uh, my brother uh, moved back to the farm and, you know, works – yeah, side by side with my father every day on the farm. And mm. I'm not, I don't know if, you know, they're best friends, <laughs> but they're like, you know, I mean, they have a very close friendship. Yes. That is something other than being. I mean, he's clearly the favourite son now. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I think that horse bolted <laughs> a very long time ago. And the reason that the horse bolted was that I left the gate open because I'm no good at being a farmer. That right. would be, in fact, the fact that we had a horse and I was trying to milk it. <laughs> When we're on a dairy farm, was real. There was a whole range of issues. No idea. (laughs) Don't let Will in charge of anything anymore. (laughs) No, I mean of our family. Even though my parents are could not uh, couldn't ask for better parents. Mm. Certainly, they have a closer relationship with yeah my brother who is back there with his family and working on the farm, and my sister has four kids, and they have a kind of very practical. You know, mum helped a lot with the kids when it was growing up, so they have much more immediate and close relationships with my parents, which I'm like, isn't it's interesting because I admire and love the relationships that they have with mum and dad. Yeah. But I don't desire those relationships with my mother and father. Like I love my mum and dad, like, and honestly couldn't have asked for better parents. It's Mm. one of those things where the only thing I resent about them is as a comedian, didn't quite give me (laughs) enough pain to really, you know, win a couple more awards. But, uh, (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> just lock right. me in a cupboard once, mum. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but uh, but I don't desire the same relationship with them that my brother and sister do. And interestingly enough, for me, my parents don't seem to desire that <laughs> they're not, relationship they're not on with the me. Phone to you saying, when are you coming home? Right? Well, no. You know that traditional thing of like yeah. you'd be like, I don't call them enough. Yeah, I think I call them about the amount they're happy for me to call. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all feel like we've, yeah. you know, every second birthday. You've worked it like... out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Arm's length. It works for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that your relationship, uh, provided you're both, you know, well-adjusted people, parent and child, it is as it's supposed to be. And and you, it's very instinctual, I guess, is what I mean, is that you are as you are intended to be. And Willow and I... Like she and Daz are really into each other, but Will and I kind of just um, we'll just sit and giggle next to each other. That's the other thing. I didn't expect it to be as fun as it is right. being a parent, and but that's a choice, you know. You could, and I've heard. Oh my god, I've heard 
mothers at playgrounds whinging about just the smallest things. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? You're in the sunshine with your child. There's nothing to worry about here. But they're whinging about the fact that the kid, you know, didn't have its freaking breakfast or, you know. Yeah, so your kids spilt milk all over the floor. Who fucking cares? Don't cry over spilt milk. Uh, But, like, it really doesn't matter. And for me... And maybe, again, it's because I'm so focused on in the moment and children teach you they are total mindfulness. They don't have a future or past. They don't get it. They don't get time. Time is right now. And so if you can really engage with that, oh, my God, it's the greatest fun you'll ever have. There's a broader, I mean, if you, uh, and I am not smart enough to know much about quantum physics, but. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't talk to me about quantum physics. Well. But there's this theory that, like, the way that we experience time is not how time is actually happening. That all time exists at once. Right. And we are only experiencing it in a linear fashion. Right. But everything is... So this is my link between quantum physics and... Do you believe in clairvoyance? Of course not, you (laughs) crazy, crazy person. But (laughs) That's how they're able to connect with people who've passed over. Because that's um, what time is. Yeah. So, so speaking to that, yeah. As a teenage girl, you know the thing that you hear is like you know the person that you love the most, and I saw it with my sister and mum, who are I would say still probably best friends as you know yeah. like adults. Yeah, there's there's a terrible period. There's a yes, period where you become yeah. a teenage girl, and yeah. your mum, who was your everything, becomes mm. yeah the bane of your existence. Mm. Do you? You fear that? Is I that something that you? I do a little bit, and but I'm also really prepared for it. In as much as I am so certain of my love for her that I don't hear anything with the agenda of "oh, she's hurt me" or "she's rejected me" or to me, it's not about like you know. If you have a friend who starts being a complete pain in the ass, then you're going to go, "Well, that's not a good friend to me anymore." But whereas my child. She's always going to be my child. It doesn't change, you know, and I think um, I don't hear it as a, a, somehow an affront to me or somehow uh, that it's insulting to me or disrespecting me. I just think, well, that's her doing her thing. Obviously, I, I you know, I set boundaries. I'm not without discipline, you know. I'm the person who who kind of keeps the house together. If I'm away, she eats nothing but McDonald's and they watch movies until 11 o'clock at night and Daz wonders why she's tired and cranky. So I am that person and there'll probably come a time when I'm going to have to say, babe, don't talk to me like that. Don't use that language. Don't have that tone, all that kind of stuff. And we might have fights. But I kind of feel like, yeah, my love for her won't change. At some stage, you're going to, and maybe have already, but have a serious chat to her about, and I'm not going to get into sex because it's not that sort of podcast, but about <laughs> love, you know, yeah. who, who she might choose to love yeah. in her life. And luckily, we live in a world where, like, the options for who that might be and the way that that might be accepted are a little bit more open as mm-hmm. well. But what will you say to her about love and, and, you know, the role of love and, you know, advice that you might give her about, you know, yeah, whether she might want to find someone to share her life with, you know, are those things yeah. that you've thought about, you know, what you would say? Well, I mean, you talk about it. See, the great thing about being a parent, the best lessons you teach are just going about your day. 
I, I recall my greatest lesson I taught her as a child was we don't drink water that our bottom's been in. Right, because and that doesn't sound like something you'd have to ever tell someone, but children like to drink the bathwater. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think as a rule for life, we don't drink water that our bottom's been in. Will right? I mean, I think that's a pretty good rule. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some people. I mean, whatever you're into. <laughs> Look, like, as an adult, if you yeah. make that choice, I'm not around anymore. Some but people when you're probably pay roof, very good money for yeah. that. Uh, and and maybe you might fall in love with that person, and and you are entitled to love whoever yeah. you want to love. And already, just as we're going about our days, we talk a lot about relationships, and you know, like uh, certainly around the um, same-sex marriage campaign, we spoke a lot about that then. Um, because it's important and always whenever I talk about when you grow up and you uh, you either have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know, you might choose to do this. or And kids are really curious about their parents' relationships too. So she'll often ask, you know, when did you meet daddy and when did you fall in love with daddy? And um, I'm still waiting. No, um, that's <laughs> unkind. Sometimes it's not a joke. You shouldn't make a joke. Well. <laughs> No, I adore Daz. 20 years we've been together, um, which is impressive. It is. Uh, so, I don't know. You just sort of talk as you talk, as you're walking to school or whatever. And I just hope that she my, – my, my number one thing I want for her is that she's able to recognise when a relationship is unhealthy for her and she is strong enough to leave. And I'm not talking about necessarily abusive relationships, although, of course, that's really important, but just relationships where you might lose yourself a little bit or you don't speak up as much as you'd like to or that person has a bad temper or that person just doesn't bring out the best in you. You know, one of the things that Daz and I or I (laughs) aim for in our relationship is that we always try to be – I try to make their life easier. Because I'm there, I want Daz's life to be easier and I hope that he has the same for me. But – if you're with someone who's making your life harder, be strong enough to go, oh, this isn't right for me and leave. That's all I want for her. And yeah. that's not easy. That's not always easy. That's not easy. And it's it's interesting to me that sort of inside of like check, it, how's your relationship? Because I, how's your relationship, I think, I think has a broader, you know, I, I talk about this a bit like, you know, in regard, in regard to drinking or drugs mm. or those sort mm. of things. Like just, I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm saying just ask yourself, how's your relationship Mm. with it? If your relationship with drinking is like, great, you know, it makes me feel a bit more relaxed and Mm. I go out on a Friday night, have a great time with my friends and I'm really happy with my relationship with it, then great, fantastic. Mm. But just check in every now and again and make sure you're still having the same relationship. Yeah. You know, make sure that the nature of your relationship hasn't changed with that, you know. And I certainly have, you know, had to do that a bit in my own life at different times and go, I'm not sure that I'm doing this for the same reason that I was doing it for when I started. Exactly. I think that we become so apathetic in engaging with the act of living because life is busy, you're tired, you'd rather just, you know. And constant. Yeah, and constant. You'd rather sit on the couch and watch a Netflix series or whatever than actually check in with, am I being present in this relationship? Am I being... Uh, good for that other person or is that person being good for me? Um, and that's not to say that relationships should always be happy. I mean, fuck, Daz and I have been together 20 years. We've been in couples counselling at least twice, maybe three times. Uh, and, you know, there have been times when it's been really bad and we've stuck with each other because 
of whatever sort of deep-seated knowledge that we know there's a reason for us to be together. So life is not easy in a relationship. I'm not suggesting it should be a fairy tale. But you, you also have to know when the struggle is enough now and it's actually not healthy for me. Uh, we need to finish up soon, but uh, yes. I have, still have some other questions that I want to ask you. Uh, so basically, uh, well, they all kind of come from one question, which is what do you reckon happens when we die? Oh, Jesus. So You've really I'm not, just left. <laughs> I'm not asking on, you I've, for... Looking at my list of things that I brought, <laughs> I've got bottom water away. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go through. What, what's the rest of your checklist? Tell me what <laughs> oh, else was on there. I've got all your okay, I have a oh, ninety-minute rule for movies. Oh, hang on. So tell me that one. Unless the film is really good, at ninety minutes I walk out. Regardless. <laughs> Regardless. Because so, so you I'm watched, talking about you, you watched The Sixth Sense and you don't understand what was going on. No, You're like, I oh, hang on, Bruce Willis was there. That was a good film. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good. Point. But like, um, I'm talking Spoilers. your wedding crashes kind of. Yeah, sure. Film, right? Because I don't think any film should be longer than ninety minutes. And how, long is, we, how long have we gone on this podcast, Michael? Woo, Eighty. All right, we actually <laughs> we got ten, we got ten minutes to cover just, death before and, we go. And I think that all films turn shit at ninety minutes. Okay. And I've never once been wrong. Well, let's. Like, they're going. This is quite good. Like freaking was it Daddy's Home too? Wasn't bad. And then it turned <laughs> so shit at ninety minutes, and I was like, should have left. Yeah. No. It's a, it's a good point that Daddy's Home too should have come in in ninety minutes. <laughs> Exactly. Why? Why? It's because they never know how to finish it. That's yeah. why it turns shit. What else have I got? Uh, laundry is foreplay. Hang on, what? Right. <laughs> folding, folding the laundry is foreplay. Why? Well, because men say, right? Men say they don't get enough sex. Uh-huh. Okay. Do they? Or just at your house? This is what... <laughs> well... Perhaps it's just in my house. But I think all men think they don't get enough sex in long-term relationships. And women would say, well, they don't get enough help around the house. Yeah. Okay. So my theory is if you, as a guy, did more around the house, I would have to do less and we'd have more time together. And actual fact, if I saw him folding the laundry, to me that's foreplay. To me that going, okay, now you're making an effort. I get that. Now I'm seeing you a little bit more favourably. I, do, I, do, I don't disagree with what you said, obviously, but I um, I think that it speaks to something a little bit like what we were talking about before as well, because I think that sort of cliche uh, of that, you know, men always want sex and, and women don't is as harmful to I agree. women in a way as well, because often what you find is that we're so confused about who we're meant to be. If you're mm. a man who isn't like constantly going, yes. you know, this is what you hear in society is that men are always bothering their and women, mm. you know, once they're in mm. a relationship don't want to have mm. sex and I don't think that those things are necessarily true. I but do we, agree. Yeah. I agree with you and that is a very dangerous st- stereotype. You're right. For we- men and women. Women feeling, you know, well, you know, slut-shamed because we like sex. Absolutely. That's, that's true. I'm speaking anecdotally, yeah. not just from my experience but all of my friends. Yeah. It's like do some find, fucking laundry, yeah, assholes. <laughs> Don't sit on the couch like a slob and think I'm going, oh, he's hot. Right. (laughs) I don't think so. That footballer on the telly, he's hot, but I don't ask him to do my laundry. (laughs) No, I can just imagine that he's folding some socks right now. that's right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, death. I want to talk to you about death because I think it speaks to everything else, which is, so what do you reckon happens? Do you have a fear of it? Do you think about it? Is it present in your life in any way? I mean, I imagine like... And again, I'm asking the question, but I mean, it was present in your life at a very early mm. point in your life. Mm. And has it, 
have you felt like it's been a constant present in your life or are you a person who doesn't really think about death in a sort of, you know, looming sort of way? What's, how do you feel? What, what's your thought? Uh, I think about and fear death every minute of every day. Okay. To the point where I first went to therapy of 16, 17 years ago to try and silence that and years later haven't been able to and really the mindfulness I think is sort of the only thing that has uh, rest, allowed me respite from that because um, it is, it's crazy, it's, it's not, that's not normal. But um, oh, but I don't think it's un. It I don't might think it's not abnormal. Normal. Yeah, exactly right. But I don't think it's also. I mean, the fear of death, particularly linked to people who have anxiety, mm. are often you know combined together. That you know, yeah. that one of the things that can come with anxiety is that fear that you know that of the ultimate you know thing that and you could be not, anxious it's about. It's not. I, I think I'm trying. I'm try I have trouble remembering life before Willow, so it's sort of a bit weird. I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if you have a weird memory because of breakfast radio, but my memory's completely shot. So things kind of come and go in weird ways for me. But and since having Willow, I don't remember what I was like before her so much. But um, since having her, the fear is more about separation from her, and the moment I'll have to say goodbye to her, which uh, I can't engage with right now because I'll be a mess. But I, I so but. It's, it's not normal, but I don't think it's abnormal. Um, and mindfulness really is sort of, I, I, I guess I just feel like I just am, I focus on gratitude for this moment and how incredible this gift is. And, and then whatever happens, again, time unfolds as it needs to. And I'll, I, I trust that it will be okay. In a practical sense, how do you do that? Because I'm sure there are people listening to this and I know that there are people listening to this because I get, you know, get the emails and the Facebook mm. messages. Often people who listen to this podcast um, will be going through you know, some period of you know, mm. being within their own head or not being able to deal with some sort of anxiety or depression that they are having. And I guess they are looking for insight from other people to what has helped them. I understand the concept of what you're saying, but is there a like a practical, you know, way that you, you I mean, do you have a practice every day about what you do? Is there something that in a moment you can recognize, oh, I'm being, you know, this is, you know, my anxiety is coming on or this moment is overwhelming me. There is something practical I can do to address this right now. Well, the answer is yes and no. Uh, no, there is nothing in as much as when it, happens it happens and and I don't want to give the impression that I'm a deliriously happy person every day um and there are days when I feel a, just a grief that I can't shake and I can't get up off the couch or I'll just sit and look out a window for three hours and then go oh fuck, what have I been doing for three hours? Like you kind of – and that sort of anxiety and sadness, I liken it to um, – it's like when, when the tide comes in and you're not really aware that it's come in and then you look down and you're like up to your knees in water. It's sort of like that. It just can creep up on you and then you're like, oh, fuck, I now feel really sad and shit for sometimes weeks and you just go about what you have to do. I meditate every day and I hate it. I hate meditating when I'm like that because I feel like I'm almost being dishonest with myself. 
but it's a pra- it's called a practice for a reason. You have to practice it, and and I exercise even though I don't want to leave the house. I force myself to eat green vegetables rather than ice cream. I try not to drink every day. You know all those things. It's fucking hard. But at the end of it, somehow the tide goes out again and you're dry and you're okay and the sun shines and you go, oh, actually that was that. And I think it's really important, like mindfulness is based on a concept of that you recognise what's in you, you recognise the emotion and you investigate it. You allow yourself to investigate that feeling without any shame or blame or guilt and you say, oh, that's interesting. And sometimes now because I'm so – I've practised at mindfulness, I can feel it in my body before I know I'm feeling it in my heart. And you go, oh – Oh, that shortness of breath, I know what that means. I know what's coming. And then you investigate it and you allow it and you you kind of have to – you have to let your feelings feel. <laughs> I'm so wise. <laughs> Write that down. You have to let your feelings feel. <laughs> you should be writing a book right now. Uh, why aren't you writing – I am writing a book, but, and but I'll not put, I'll about mindfulness. Uh, it's actually at this stage, I'm I'm thinking it's a mindfulness guide to being sacked. Okay, but I'm not sure. Um, it's sort of it's evolving. I'm not sure exactly how it will end up. <laughs> Maybe I should call it "Let Your Feelings Feel." <laughs> <laughs> no, call it something snappy. Like um, those books need to have, like you know, um, the the one that uh, Amy's been reading is the you know the orange covered one, the one that's got "fuck" in the title, whatever. The- oh yeah, the the. Uh, the art of give, not giving a not fuck. Not giving a fuck, it, right? Yeah, so yeah, you need something yeah. like that. So, yes. you know, yeah. like you call it something like movies shouldn't go more than 90 minutes. <laughs> you know? And then like it's, a, you know, a guide to, yeah, yeah. you know, a happier yeah. and more spiritual life. Yeah. Um, do you believe that once we die we are dead or do you believe that there is some sort of greater force or some sort of reincarnation or some sort of, you know, do you have a thought about that? Um, I guess, I mean, I have that Judeo-Christian attitude to heaven that uh-huh. I, I believe there's a heaven, I guess. Um, but what that means, what what exactly is that now? I don't know. I read this amazing book called <laughs> Proof of Heaven, I believe it was okay. called. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and did, did it prove that there was a heaven? <laughs> it was by <laughs> a neuroscientist, uh-huh. neurosurgeon, okay. sorry, uh, who died and was dead, uh, brain dead for okay. a long time, and then was and believes and he it's his description of heaven, and then he comes back. I never finished the book. Because <laughs> 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 we got to heaven and it started to get really annoying. So then I didn't, and then I knew that he got, came back because he's written the book, right? right? So I'm like, well, I know how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> Because this is what I'm like. I'm not a. I'm not a finisher. That's another one. Oh, really? If you don't like something? Quit. I'm not into it. That's an interesting um, one. I like yeah. that as well. I look. <laughs> but as far as what happens after life, my mum used to say to me because I asked when I was little, you know, does does can dad see us? And she told me that she didn't believe that he could because heaven is the absence of sadness, right? And if he could see that we were sad, he would be sad. So therefore, he wouldn't know. He wouldn't know that we are. He wouldn't be watching us. And uh, somehow I thought that was really lovely. But now that I don't ever want to be separated from Willow, I hope I'm fucking hanging around. I want to be here. I'm going to be sitting next to her bed going, so babe, who's this bloke? 
<laughs> What's happening here? You know. Um, so that's sort of what I, I'm hoping that I just sort of hang around like a bad smell. Yeah. Amy's <laughs> obsessed by the idea because I don't believe in ghosts and she's obsessed by the idea that when she dies, she's going to haunt me. Yeah, <laughs> like she's, right. She tells me all the to time. Prove you. She goes, I'm going to haunt you. Yeah. Just to prove this oh, point. Well, let me tell you guys, <laughs> maybe that's why you're so clumsy, right? Because Daz, he cannot eat a spoon of any food without it falling on his top. And he reckons there's a ghost next to him just going like, just knocking the, <laughs> knocking the fork out of his hand the whole time. Maybe that's what's happening when you drop shit. I mean, that There's that's a, a good excuse. Just, just smacking shit out I of I might just hand. start leaning really into it. I was like, that's the ghost love. <laughs> it wasn't me. The ghost should pay to get my phone screen repaired. Yeah. Uh, hey, this has been an absolute delight. Thank you Thanks, so much Will. for being part of it. Um, what can we plug? I like to plug something. I'll, pl- oh. I'll do a proper intro and stuff up the front sure, sure. later. But yeah. like, tell, tell people about what you'd like them to know about. Um, well, I have two more kids' books coming out in the Play Like a Girl series. So the Play Like a Girl series are aimed at 8 to 10-year-old readers about an under-11 girls footy team and they are super strong, active girls just out there being muddy and messy and crazy like girls should be. I may be the only comedian in the world who hasn't written a children's book at this stage. <laughs> well, these are the, – yeah, it's Young true. adult. These – yeah, yeah. They're Young not adult. as big as Peter Hadley's books, but I guess if <laughs> If you join them together, maybe. So there's now six of them. So, yeah, you could maybe go and buy them if you want or, I don't know, check out whatever else I might be doing. I don't know. Follow me on Facebook. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so Thanks, much for Will. doing the show. Such a delightful conversation. Real conversation. It doesn't happen often. Sorry. The end. <laughs>